Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the Big Dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm joined today with the three most well-read, intellectual film critics that I know. Wow. And we've gathered to discuss... Of course, the most highbrow of movies, <laughs> at least the most highbrow movie we've reviewed since Three Ninjas. Here they are, one at a time, Steve. After that intro, you may have invited me by mistake. <laughs> nope, the one and only, the man, Steve. Ahoy. Also, the founding father of the podcast, spoilers, Pappy. Uh, the listeners can't see this, but I'm dressed like a greaser today. I got a comb <laughs> running through my hair constantly. Shia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, luckily, to counteract Pappy, we have a Soch and the proprietor of the CineStudy podcast, Film Dylan. Hello, hello. This is Dylan of CineStudy. I am uh, very excited to talk about this movie and maybe remotely touch the intellectual side of things that Corey has alluded to. We'll have to wait <laughs> I hope <and> so. <laughs> now, the, for the audience, you know me, you know Steve, and you know Pappy, if you've listened to some of our further back episodes. Pappy first appeared on Little Giants, but he's been with us for a long time. Dylan is new to this podcast, so I want to give you guys a little bit of a, a hint about what CineStudy is. I'm going to read one of CineStudy's reviews just real quick. A- iTunes review. A show of incomparable genius in the realm of film and its many sub-factors, iconic hosts, and riveting analysis. Now, if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, I don't know what will. Well, uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I should let the listeners know that I was the one to write that review. So uh, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just uh, let uh, everybody in on the secret there. Well, who would know better than you, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I got the I got the true knowledge, but I'm I'm definitely excited to be on. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so thank you for having me on. Excited to talk about this movie. Absolutely, and of course, as the listeners know by making the click. You've downloaded it. You've chosen to listen to us talk about this. You might have heard Steve make mention of it in the past, but it's a 2008 film directed by Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. There was no kingdom in this movie, by the way. There was no kingdom of the Crystal Skull? (laughs) No. The pyramid thing doesn't count? No, that's not a kingdom. It's a pyramid. It's a spaceship. (laughs) It's not a spaceship. It's an interdimensional traveling device. Yes. The space between space, Steve. (laughs) George has already done space, but he's never done the space between space. (laughs) Next level. The natural progression. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, before we just really start shitting on this movie and some of us may be trying to defend it which is probably going to be me um (laughs) there was a 19 year gap between indiana jones films and by that i mean between last crusade and this movie crystal skull so i wanted to kick off the conversation by maybe talking about like what some of your favorite late arrival sequels are like a sequel that came out much later much like this movie did Dylan, maybe you can tell us yours and why. And you can say more than one if you want. And it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite. It's not written in stone. All right, well, I think I will provide one of my absolute favorites, although I can't really say that for certain because I haven't seen the original movies that this one is a follow-up to. But I think Mad Max Fury Road is pretty much, you know, the epitome of we're back. Like, pretty much just an amazing ride from start to finish. Definitely my favorite sequel to come out well after the... uh, 
the original trilogy. Wow, I can't believe I, I skipped that one. I was trying to think of mine, and I actually didn't think of that one. I was 100, uh, yeah. I'm being deadly serious. I was 100% convinced, Corey, that was going to be your answer. So I'm really surprised to hear that. All right. I thought I might be stealing somebody's answer. Yeah, I thought I, that one might come up. So Right? I mean, it's a great choice, but you've got to see the other ones, man. Especially. I know I do. I know. I'm late. I, mean, I know. I got I to gotta get on that. The second one is special. What if you're not a big fan of Tina Turner? Well, Thunderdome has its high points. <laughs> yeah, you can turn it off after the first half on Thunderdome, by the way. <laughs> you don't need to see the Peter Pan shit. Road Warrior is definitely the best one. Uh, well, aside from Fury Road. Aside from Fury Road, I like that. Steve, since you're talking, what's yours? Well, I made up a little list. Fury Road was actually on my list. That's oh, definitely high up there. I mean, the, uh, some of the others were The Color of Money, which was a great sequel to a movie called The Hustler. It came out decades later. Uh, the Two Jakes, which was a sequel to Chinatown. That movie doesn't get a lot of love, but it's a very good Didn't movie. Didn't The Color of Money have the same producers as Crystal Skull? Did it? You know what? I have to double check. I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Okay. Actually. Anyway, go on. I, I would say in terms of like the anticipation leading up to its release, episode one, but then I saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my, my, I, I partly wanted to make sure my answer would potentially bother Pappy, so I'm going with Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> I think he might agree with you on that. Right? <laughs> it doesn't bother me. That was actually the one that I had. It bothers me because you stole my answer and I was going to tease our debate because I'm a great podcaster. <laughs> tease content coming I'm down the sorry. line. I'm sorry. Why did you think that might bother Pappy? Well, you know, because he thinks um, the original is boring. Pappy, is this true? Do you think the original Blade Runner is boring? I do think it's an objectively boring movie, and I'll prove so on this very podcast feed in a couple of weeks. It's the fight of the century. Big it dumb is. movie versus spoilers. Steve v. Pappy. Two men enter, one men leave. Thunderdome <laughs> reference right there for you. You're just you, you, you putting a knife in my heart, Pappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve, you really did take my favorite. So I'll say my least favorite. I I didn't see this in theaters or anything, but I remember there being like a special showing on ABC of the movie Return to Oz and like it was a big deal for my oh. family to like watch that. Like we all gathered around like we pulled the couch like in front of the TV and like made stuff like we popped in a, like a VHS to like record it and I was just horrified by what I saw. I hated Dude, it so much. It was like I'll really you about me. that one. I love that movie. I was just about to say that, Steve. Yeah, I've never revisited it. It might be good, but like at the time, I was like, I don't know, five or six or seven or something, and like I think I just left the room and went to go play computer or something. It it's was scary, not, right? It's like, a little freaky. Not what I wanted. Like there, there's some stuff in there that like made me feel very uncomfortable as a kid. Like those fucking. Uh, there's something off about those like skater wheelie guys, you know? It's like, true. <laughs> I'm gonna let Dylan answer in a second, but like they. For years, there was a running rumor that they were going to do, some studio was going to do a movie adaptation of a PC game called American McGee's Alice. And for anyone that's not familiar... That doesn't sound PC. No, right? Um, the game came out in the late 90s. It was basically, the idea was that the Cheshire Cat comes into the real world, finds Alice, and basically says, everything on the other side has completely gone to hell, like literally, and you need to come back and save us. And it's, it was kind of a gothic-style game. Mm. Super cool. And I, there was a running rumor for years that a movie was going to be made of it, and then the rumors evolved to say that Tim Burton was going to do it, and then the story somehow morphed into Tim Burton's going to do Alice in Wonderland, and then we got Tim And Marilyn Manson's going to be in it. That was part of the rumor mill. Yeah, it was part of the rumor mill as well, uh, and then eventually we got the unfortunate actual Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> but um, Return to Oz, I think, is what that should have been more like. Like, that's what I was hoping for, and it's not what we got. Anyway, 
I'm with you there. I, I wrote down my answers to my question pretty quickly. I really liked a movie that came out around the same time as Crystal Skull, Rocky Balboa, which is the sixth Rocky movie. I've talked about that a lot on this podcast. Maybe someday we'll review some uh, some more of the dumb Rocky movies, like Rocky Four, might be a good fit. Steve, I know you love that robot, man. <laughs> Happy birthday, Bolly. <laughs> That's the best part of that stupid movie. But I also really like The Force Awakens. I know, what a hot take. I like Star Wars movies, but uh, there's that too. <laughs> I considered that one as well. I wouldn't totally disagree with you about it. Yeah, same. I'm on the same page there. People shit on it way too hard. I think people have moved on to shitting on the two that follow it more so. Pretty much, yeah. Like yeah. That, those are really the points of discussion I see online anyway. The, the third one was definitely the most problematic of them, I think. But anyway. <laughs> Palpatine is problematic. Yeah. <laughs> Attacking a woman like that? <laughs> <laughs> of all the things that were wrong with that movie, it's really low on the list. <laughs> Uh, but of course we're here to talk about an Indiana Jones movie so I want to keep the topic more Indiana Jones related this will be quicker just a kind of a quick round table favorite Indiana Jones movie and I think I I would think the answer would be obvious but maybe it's not as obvious as I assume so Pappy do you have a favorite of the well I guess you can choose all four although you're probably going to pick from the trilogy Uh, you never know Uh, it's definitely not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull though (laughs) Raiders is, is my favorite. We actually did a episode of it over on spoilers where Mike, Mikey hosted, but I don't know. I, I've never really connected with Indiana Jones as much, to be honest, because I feel like it was always like a love letter to something I never experienced, so I never got it. But I, I love Raiders, man. It's a it's a great movie. Agreed. What about you, Dylan? My favorite is I, you know I've never really realized like what the distribution of people's favorite is over the well three I'll say three because I yeah I don't think anybody's choosing four but my favorite has always been Last Crusade I feel like it's the best blend of all the things that I love from Indiana Jones like the stunts but also some good comedy uh, you know how can you not like Sean Connery in Last Crusade so Last Crusade is my favorite but I rewatched Temple of Doom uh, just uh, like a week or so ago and I liked that a lot more than I remember yeah, that one's that you know I think I'd still go you know three one two in my ranking but Temple is Temple is better than I remembered it okay Steve oh uh, I, yeah I, I I love the original three I love and I do love arc but for me for me it's a it kind of a tie between Crusade and Temple I love both of them if I were forced to pick one over the other I might just very slightly go temple because i think there's a little bit more adventure in it in total but i i love crusade i've never understood why some people seem to think it's like by far the the most inferior of the original three i don't think so the uh, part at the end where he crosses the invisible bridge to get to where the tomb where the crusaders living i love that that's so cool i love it yeah right well, yeah. that whole section is so memorable. It is. Like, on his way to the Grail. 100%. And that's, like, the inside was always set, but that, that front piece when they ride through the canon, canyon, I think that's... Uh, I can't remember the right name now, but I think that's in Iraq. It's part... It's real. That front is real. Those people carved mm-hmm. that into the fucking cliff face, like, 3,000 years ago. It's incredible. Cool. Yeah. It's not as cool as CGI groundhogs, though. I mean, let's be <laughs> well. Yeah, what what can be? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, the CGI apes swinging on vines with shy of the beef. True, <laughs> stiff competition. Needs <laughs> real. Uh. Well, I guess that does lead us into Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We can talk about the movie itself in our typical format. Pappy, you are a man that has talked about 
cold opens in movies and spoilers a lot, and I think that a lot of that stems from Raiders of the Lost Ark, which you often use as an example because it's probably one of the best I've seen in terms mm-hmm. of cold opens to movies. What did you think of the opening to Crystal Skull? And uh, I don't know, I think we can we can draw some comparison to Raiders if you want. You know, I don't actually hate hate this part. Like, I don't like the CGI prairie dog. Like, It's a very <laughs> quick shot, but I mean, it's... I don't know. It, it, it looks shitty, and it's like a sign of shitty-looking things to come. But this is, like, one of the best landscape, I don't know, sequences. Like, I really feel like I'm in the Nevada desert here. There's some really, like, wide, cool shots. And then I actually did like the misdirection and setup with the uh, with the Russian soldiers posing as American soldiers. I don't, I don't know if that's a hot take if you guys... Corey, did you hate it? Uh, am I supposed to hate this part? I, I've, heard, I've seen people that say they like it, so I wanted to get some takes. I did not like it. I, really? I, you don't like Elvis? I, I, I think it's all, it's all there to tell us that it's the 50s, I guess, which they tell us in the form of like a text like pop-up later. It says 1957, so uh, I'm, I'm not really sure like what exactly the point is, but Steve, I'm sure you have some something to offer. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it, but I would agree with you. It feels like it's there for no reason other than to mostly just A, establish that it's the 50s, B, that greasers are a thing, and C, that these guys are driving through the desert and... I guess it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm a car guy. I love car chases, but the hot rod bit didn't do a lot for me. The Gophers, I would bet 50 bucks, unless someone can prove me wrong, that the Gophers were fucking George Lucas. That guy will never <laughs> give up an opportunity to stick a stupid-looking CG animal into a scene. <sighs> fucking guy. I, I would bet he's sitting around with Spielberg, because he contributed a huge amount to the story in this. I bet he's sitting around with Spielberg, and you know, you, you, know, you know what you need here, Steven? You know what you need here, Steven? is a creature. <laughs> I don't know, George. It's not really the kind of movie for that. No, it's fine. It's fine. They'll be gophers. They'll fit in. It'll make people smile. They'll love it. It's okay. a family thing. We'll show the gophers three times. It'll be great. <laughs> right? It'll be a recurring bit. Three, three times we'll show the gophers. <laughs> in a hundred years, no one will remember what this movie was like without the gophers. <laughs> Speaking of the 50s stuff, like, honestly, it feels like they had one brainstorming session and they had like a family feud style what 50s things can we think of and that's what they sprinkle in like he like steve said it's like it's 50s cars elvis preppy <laughs> kids it's like later it's like show me mccarthyism show me greasers it's like so <laughs> lazy I, I don't know there's no nuance to it no you know, I, I i you actually nailed it there i think better than than i was thinking it that, that, that it's what you're right what's missing there is the nuance because like I mean, look, everyone knows Nazis are the bad guys anyway, but, like, they didn't really need to reinforce it in the other three films. It's just mm-hmm. like, here's Nazis, you know they're the bad guys. And in this one, it was just like, ooh, Russians. It's like, I, know, I get it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I Like, with what you were saying, Pappy, it's like, has there ever been more of a red flag opening shot than just, like, a little prairie dog mountain and he, like, comes out and then almost gets mowed down by the 50s car? Like, I, I was just like, oh, no. Like, this is what we're in for. <laughs> And especially, like, the tradition. It's like the tradition of Indiana Jones cold opens is so strong. Like, you've got Raiders, you've got the great Shanghai, like, musical sequence in Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade's got the origin story. And then here it's just, like, some cars zipping through the landscape for, like, way too long. I don't know, it's it's just, it's such a dive from, like, really memorable beginnings across the first three. I, I agree with that. And why were the Hot Rod kids driving around in the desert anyway? They're, like, miles from whatever yeah, town they were Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Just cruising. Going to Vegas. 
cruising. Yeah, they're just going to check out the nuclear test at some point, I right? guess. Yeah. 1957, Vegas barely even existed. I think Bugsy, Bugsy Siegel opened the first casino in Vegas in the early 50s. I mean, there was almost nothing there. That's crazy. Uh, Steven, Steven, it's like my movie American Graffiti. Uh, they're just out cruising by Area 51. It's okay. <laughs> that was perfect. That was really perfect. That was beautiful. Uh. <laughs> oh. Dylan, why don't you tell us about kind of what unfolds next? We do get to see our hero after a few minutes, and in typical Indiana Jones fashion, I think he's getting his ass kicked, which I do like to see, honestly, because he's always getting his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah, pretty much immediately backed into a corner. I did like the intro with, like, the hat on the ground, and then you see the shadow pick it up and don the hat. I thought that was cool, but honestly, like, I, w- I was more thinking throughout the scene just how fake everything looked, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll touch on this with, like, other scenes, but already out of the gate, I mean, you're just filming, a, like, a very simple dialogue scene outside of a warehouse, and it's just, like, ridiculously bright, and the backgrounds look terrible, I don't know, so, like, just immediately, I was like, everything has this, like, fake sheen, but I did appreciate the indie intro. I thought that was a, a good way to bring him in. To your point about the lack of nuance, like, the first conversation he and, um... Damn it, now I'm forgetting Roy Winstone's character's name. But the first, Mac. Mac, thank you. Mac, the yeah. first thing they say to each other basically is, or what Indy says, is like, we're too old to get out of this. Like, we could have gotten out of this when we were younger. We're too, it's like, to, to, to the point about the lack of nuance, it's just, it's on the nose. It's too on the nose. Like, I can see mm-hmm. you're, you're 20 years older than you were the last time you did this. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah. He does look younger than he looks in Force Awakens by about uh, two decades. He <laughs> aged up pretty quick there after that. Yeah, but, you know, I'm with you. It's kind of annoying that we, he starts off like in the trunk of a car too. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I would have rather him like even if it was like a sleepy life opening or something. It's like so like the 60 year old man's just still out here getting kidnapped and getting his ass kicked all the time. Like how is he still? <laughs> how is he still walking if this is his lifestyle? <laughs> this is basically. I I agree. The same conversation I've had with Corey not only about this but about the Die Hard movies that like. My recurring joke is if they keep making them, eventually the story is just going to be John McClane's nurse struggling to change his diaper. Like, (laughs) it's going on too long. Like, let it go. We we talked about about Raiders, too. And, like, one of... Core, we reviewed Witness not that long ago. We all agreed, like, you know, this is by far I've ever seen the best... Or the best acting I've ever seen Harrison Ford do. In in Raiders, I, I kind of have the same criticism for Karen Allen later, but, like... You know, one of Harrison Ford's things is he's just a really good-looking guy, and one of Karen Allen's things is he was just a really good-looking girl, and now he's just an old, bumbling man who who was never that good at acting to begin with, and now he's really, really bad at it. Like, <laughs> it's sad to see. He doesn't, and he doesn't make me laugh at all. Well, we'd be through worse. Yeah. When? Flensburg. There was twice as many. We were younger. I still am young. We had guns. Put your hands down. Why are you embarrassing us? Which is a huge problem I have with it. I don't know if. If old man Ford makes you guys laugh, but that, if you're not <laughs> laughing with it, it's not going to be a good time. No. Very little makes me laugh in this movie, to be fair. But yeah, probably he's not one among them. I'm pretty sure the biggest laugh I got out of it was not meant to be a laugh, but we'll talk about it when we get to that scene. <laughs> I hope it's the snake chuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely part of it. Oh, thank you. Uh, we do get to meet Kate Blanchett, who is our lead villain. She's a communist. Definitely evil. <laughs> She's got a bunch of Rus- Russian henchmen. Her name is uh, Irina Spalko. I'll probably just call her Kate Blanchett, but uh, I'm really going to try to call her Spalko. I I hate it when I do that. I just call him the actor's name, but I can't help it. She's normally so good, and her accent in this was terrible. Every 
received order of Lenin. Also, medal as hero of socialist labor. And why? Because I know things. I know them before anyone else. And what I do not know, I find out. Now, what I need to know now is in here. Even in that first scene, she comes in and out of it like five separate times. Does she have the force? Oh, it certainly seems like it. <laughs> or she wants to. <laughs> Star Wars hasn't coming out yet, but she, uh, yeah, she tries to use the force on, on Indy. I was doing a comparison in my mind, and I rewatched this scene to kind of get myself reacquainted. See, I'm not the biggest Indiana Jones, like, expert. Like, I've seen the first one a lot, and the second one's a little bit. But I was comparing her to the Nazi guy in the first Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, he's very memorable. Mm-hmm. He's He looks disgusting, and he is disgusting. And when he, he when he walks in, you just, like, hate him immediately, and he's got that, like, gross accent. Good evening, Fraulein. The bar is closed. We are... We are... Not thirsty. One of the first intimidating things he does is he's like about to torture Miriam, Karen Allen. He takes like a hot poker out of the fire and he's like, let me show you how we do things. And he starts like bringing it to her face. And like, I feel like that's a good way to be intimidating. Like he's, he's about to torture this woman. The sword thing though, doesn't quite do it the same way for me. You know, it just seems kind of boring and it seems to be like shot in a boring way. Like she just, yeah. Brings it forward to his neck. If this were a different kind of movie and she could have played with the sword a little more aggressively, I think it would have done more, but you're right. here. It felt pointless most of the film. I feel like what she wants is very muddled, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Like I guess on one hand, she says that she wants a super weapon to like implant thoughts into uh, Western society from communist Russia. But on the other hand, like when she actually meets the cgi terrible looking alien she's like i want to know everything i want to know everything it's like does she want knowledge does she want a weapon it's it's not clear unlimited power that's all it is It is sort of unclear how she intended to make any of that work. Like, right. what? how did you think you were going to achieve the ability to do this by reuniting this alien's head with its body? But, yeah. Steve, I have a question for you. Yes. How do magnets work? <laughs> Fucking magic. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate the magnets so much. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. I see peace, Steve. <laughs> Thank Magnets. you. How do they work? Right. Uh, also, are you a juggalo? Hard, hardcore <laughs> juggalo. Happy and Dylan can't see, but I've got the makeup on right now. Oh, I know. Nice. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> no, Dylan, you mentioned it. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about like, like what you think about that. Like, may, and maybe about juggalos. What's occurring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about yeah. juggalos. So they're trying to track down, uh, well, I guess Indy doesn't really quite know yet, but some mummified remains. And uh, they find that they're magnetic, so we get some gunpowder, Indy tosses it up to the air, and it just magically floats off in the direction that they need to go. And it's just so incredibly inconsistent with like how strong this thing must be. 
like I, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a minute, but like they just they find the box and they're like opening it with crowbars and having no problem. But then it's like as soon as they see the box, oh, magically the crowbars snap to the box. It's and it's just unbelievably inconsistent. If this thing is really as strong as they make it out to be, with like just tossing gunpowder in the air, like how is it stored in this metal warehouse? It just none of it adds up. Right. It's the whole location of the warehouse right. makes no sense. It's literally on the grounds of a facility where they're testing nuclear bombs. They know that everything <laughs> in it is going to get think burnt, about that. right, burnt to shreds. And they're t- they're they're about to test this weapon. And you see on their way out, they show it to you. The fucking ark is in there. It's the same warehouse from the end of Ark. Right. Like the Ark of the Covenant is in this warehouse. And they're just going to blow it up. I think maybe what they were trying to do was like, because when you see the end of Raiders and you see that big room with the insane amount of crates and then you know the ark is in there it really yeah. gets your mind like want, like wondering yeah doesn't it like you think like where oh, is yeah. this place what kind of shit do they have in there wouldn't it be cool to see it oh yeah I, turns out it's not that cool to see it though <laughs> no no and also like one of my very few complaints about ark is that like why would after everything it took to get this and discover it after thousands of years of people looking for it and all the death and misadventure that surrounded getting their hands on it. You're telling me what the federal government decides to do with it is put it in a wood crate and then stick it unmarked in a warehouse somewhere? Like, that's what they're doing with it? Even if they don't want the public to know about it, then, like, put it in the basement of of the NORAD facility in a mountain or something. You don't want people getting to this. And, Corey, to your point, like, that's, like, the dramatic conclusion of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like, wow, there's this huge room here. And it's... They blow their load on this scene. This is the first scene that we see Indiana Jones in doing an action yeah. scene. And it's signaling like, hey, this is going to be a huge fan service movie. Like, don't worry. This is the old Indiana Jones that you <laughs> missed from your childhood. And I thought, you know, if they would have treated this scene with more reverence, I thought it could have been cool enough even to be like the finale of the movie. Like, how crazy would that be to have like an Indiana Jones like chase and they're like opening all these boxes and all this like mystic crazy shit is like flying right. everywhere. Like. Say what you want about Dr. Sleep. Maybe it's not the greatest movie ever made, but I really did like that they had that overlook at the end. You know, they, they came back, which mm-hmm. is a sequel to The Shining, yeah. for those that don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I think it was cool to like, oh shit, I spent the whole movie and I, I assumed that we were never going to get there and now we are there. That's cool. Right. Like Not to mention they're blowing their load with like showing this scene and they do the Mac the first Mac, like, twist. Like, he's a double agent. Like, right from the jump, too. He's actually Country Mac. <laughs> Country Mac, yes. <yeah. laughs> oh. This would have been a much better movie if Frank Reynolds had made an appearance. What the hell's everybody doing in my apartment? We having a gangbang? <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Steve, in there, they have a scuffle, of course. Indiana Jones has to, like, fight his way out. Yeah, um, I think some of the hits in this scene are pretty cool because they feel like impactful. There's a moment where Indiana Jones tries to like whip his way across something and he like slips because he's a fucking 65 year old man <laughs> right. and he like slams into the windshield of one of the communist jeeps. Yeah, there were a few few moments where it actually sort of felt more like a proper Indiana Jones movie. I thought that was one of them. And they've got these vehicles in the warehouse and he's trying to get away misjudges the distance by he's whipping his way across these like support frames in the ceiling and trying to land on a vehicle and misses it and 
I, I do like the part where uh, he ends up facing head on one of the other vehicles you don't down know a corridor. Him. You don't right, know exactly. Him. <laughs> you know, and Ray Winstone is screaming at, at, at the driver, and the driver thinks Indy's going to turn away, and at the last second he whips his way out of the vehicle and lets the two of them hit each other. That I thought that moment was cool, but uh, yeah. Yeah, otherwise, though, kind of kind of just, again, trying to reinforce that, like, Indy's not what he's used to be, which is part of, frankly, what I think I don't like about... It's one of the things I don't like about this movie is, like, I get it. He's obviously older, and you've got to underline it, and it's fine to make a joke out of it once or twice, but the reality is nobody really wants to see old Indiana Jones. Like, not really. Not right. if you really had a choice. Like, if you really had a choice, what you want is Indiana Jones from, like, the old trilogy. You, he's he's just old enough to be seasoned, but not so old that his age is a joke. Right. And like to constantly be writing on that, like, oh, he's old now. It's like, eh, please, come on. I just, I, we're, I don't need to be have it hammered on me like that. Uh, the CGI starts to get questionable. I think when he falls through the facility to like the underground portion of it, oh, he falls yeah. through some glass and lands on a a rocket train. I guess. And uh, in his escape, him and another guy, they, they take the rocket train out of there, and then he ends up in the desert, kind of running away from him. But uh, Dylan, maybe you can talk about where that takes him. I think it's like a early days Victorville, <laughs> but you, I, you probably don't know what Victorville is. So, <laughs> Well, I do just want to say real quick, we do get another prairie dog shot that just made me like roll my eyes when they're on the rocket going 10 trillion miles an hour. But... Uh, yeah, so he heads out trying to find help and comes across this nice little suburban town. And I actually think this setup is, like, very cool, kind of creepy. I, I, I do like the beginning of this scene. You know, most people listening to this know what infamous moment we're about to hit. But <laughs> I thought it, it's, like, a, a cool-looking set. And I think the just him running through this, like, really eerie and, like, uh, you know, kind of creepily perfect town is, is a cool first half of this scene. It felt like kind of Twilight zone to me, which I do like. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's like, what is this? What's happening? Uh, I don't think the payoff for it is very good, but uh, I do like the mystery of it at first because mm -hmm. I, I, I can put myself in the mind of the first time I watched it and I was like, what is this? Like, why? Uh, I did not expect what happened to happen but dylan do you want to yeah so uh so he encounters some mannequins uh when he's looking for help and he's like oh this is this is a little weird he goes outside he's kind of bumbling around with some other mannequins and then this big siren starts to go off and i guess one of the russian cars had also made its way in here they get get out of there uh and he's like oh you know don't wait for me and we're figuring out that this is a nuclear test site we get like a shot that pans back from the from the uh town here and we can see the bomb uh, about to release and uh indy with his quick thinking finds uh the most protective fridge in the world empties its contents and uh gets inside just in time as the nuke explodes yes uh, this was actually ripped from a really really early unused draft for the first back to the future Honest really? to God, oh. they, they had an idea in there that Marty and Doc would at one point jump back in time by literally getting inside a lead-lined fridge together and riding the atomic or radioactive waves from, a, from, the, from an atomic explosion. I don't know why. And then eventually that, have, that got removed and evolved into what they eventually made. But I don't know whether it was Lucas or Spielberg. Probably Lucas. I'm going to blame most of the bad ideas on Lucas. <laughs> that sounds like Sidney Scheinberg. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> It does, you know, but somebody, somebody, one of the two of them, because obviously they were both close to that project that, that I think one of them was like, let's stick that in here. 
But uh, you're very weird. That is a real thing, the, the mock-up village. They really did do that. They wanted to try to get a gauge not only on whether or not the bombs they were testing would work, but what kind of destruction they would cause at what distance. And so they would build mock-up houses in little fake neighborhoods and then have them on the test sites. In Nevada, there was a real test site in Nevada just to see how far out the shockwave would destroy certain kinds of structures. Question. Did they hire interior decorators to furnish them and to... <laughs> That's the part I think is weird. They probably would have had some minimal stuff inside just because it, like things like how far will this refrigerator get thrown might actually be usable data to someone who wants to know the exact, <clears throat> excuse me, explosive powerful weapon. But like the fact that they put mannequins in there and have a TV running an actual TV channel does seem kind of weird to be like, why? That serves no... <laughs> No research purpose whatsoever. They need to know if Howdy Doody would survive an atomic explosion. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Would the contents of the fridge, like uh, the fruits and vegetables in there, would those survive? That's true. That's those, another These are the pressing one. questions. Yeah, like, yeah. Why, why was there stuff in the fridge? It's very strange. <laughs> like, there's dishes in this sink, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems like too much. <laughs> it is really well decorated. I'll say that. Right. And I will say this as well, since I'm kind of on the topic. I think... The costumes in this movie are really well done. Like, yeah. I like the way people dress for this time. It seems to me, from a layman, to be period accurate. Uh, Indiana Jones costume doesn't look like weird or off. I think all around, I think that's a compliment to the film. It, yeah, no, I'd agree. The aesthetic of the movie was really very nice overall. Um, I, I will agree, I think it was Dylan that made that point, that at the beginning it looks a little funny because of the way they... It, Spielberg insisted on shooting this movie on 35mm film, which is a choice I agree with, but he wanted to do it partly to make sure that it would look more like something that was taking place during the 50s. And then he sort of doubled down on it in certain scenes by having them make color adjustments during post-production. That's and, what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, to make the movie look colored more like an early 50s film. And the problem is, like... I don't that, think it does look like an early 50s film. No, it doesn't. And no. like, the, 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 like chemical, real quick, chemicals are, uh, excuse me, film is a chemical thing. What creates color on the film is a chemical cocktail called an emulsion. Like as good as CG and, and color treatments in, in post-production software have gotten, you can't really use a CG filter to make something look like exactly like what it would have back then, especially when it's a chemical process. And yeah, I think that's part of why it made it look look awkward but i think in other places it lent overall anyway to your point to making it look kind of nice the color saturation reminds me of ghostbusters 2016 like it's too bright yeah especially if you're gonna do like i don't know maybe you're gonna do indiana jones night i'm gonna watch all four movies over the next 12 hours or whatever right uh this one would definitely stand out as looking weird for yeah. lack of a better word and and i think that's mm -hmm. a fantastic way to put it because you know you look at the original films which were shot on film and during the 80s they they haven't they weren't messed with that way those movies were shot during they were meant to be look like they were taking place during the 30s or 40s but they weren't treated that and they look fine in this movie you watch it, it was made 20 years later and it's like this looks weird Weird and awkward, I mean, are good words to use to describe it. But I mean, like, back to the fridge thing, as stupid <laughs> as it is, like, conceptually, I don't hate the shot of Indiana Jones looking at the mushroom cloud. And I feel like it's the only sort of big, grand uh, Indiana Jones in the foreground, like, big CGI set piece or big CGI, like, imagery in the background shot that works. Like, compare that to, like, the alien ship at the end that looks like <laughs> shit. Like, I actually do like him in front of this explosion. Here. What about the uh, the 
thought of him being in the fridge and being launched however far and surviving. I mean, is they did, dude? No, they they did it on MythBusters and it it worked. So, yeah, I've read something that said <laughs> if he doesn't break his neck, it's a fifty fifty chance, which is unbelievable to me. But if that's what they say, I don't know. You'd think the concussive force alone would kill someone. Yeah, there's no chance. I mean, like it's especially an old man like that. He's an old man, like maybe young. Indy, but not the 60-year-old man who's been through years of adventures destroying his body. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, it hits the ground with brutal force, and then hits it, like, ten more times. I don't know about it. Yeah. After his adventure, uh, Dr. Jones goes back to the classroom, and we get the a very similar shot, I think, to Raiders, where we peer in through the window and we see him teaching on the blackboard, you know, classic mm. Indiana Jones stuff there. I forgot. I just wanted to add one little one little asterisk to the conversation about the fridge. Some disappointed fran- fans have actually taken, since this movie came out, to using the term nuke the fridge as an equivalent <laughs> for jump the shark. Mm. So sometimes some people, you know, if they think it's gone rotten, will say this is they've nuked the fridge. <laughs> I like that. Right. Oh, one other thing while we're, we're returning to this topic. I do think it looks cool when they do the special effects of, like, the town burning up. Like, the way everything catches fire and sort of melts away. I thought that looked good. That was one of the better CGI moments, I thought. I got the briefest T2 vibes from that. Right. <laughs> uh, Just momentarily, when they, the fire starts before they explode. Before they're blown away, but yeah. T2 yeah. is better. 10% yes. <laughs> as cool as T2, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that scene in T2 was so good physicists i think it was some group of scientists contacted james cameron afterward to tell him that it was basically exactly what it would look like if someone set off a bomb in los angeles well that's horrifying right (laughs) (laughs) so back with dr jones we do get to see him at his job which he quickly loses because i guess there's kind of suspicion now that he might be a, a damn communist since his friend mac is he starts traveling, he's gonna go move, you know, go work somewhere else, but he meets up with Mutt, rather Mutt finds him, and Mutt is played by Shia LaBeouf. Mutt Williams. We later learn that we later learn is his son. Steve, what did you think of Shia LaBeouf in the movie? The fucking Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I this guy bothers the hell out of me in real life, and I think that's part of it, but like he, I, I don't know, nothing special. I don't think the part really required a whole lot of special, but he certainly didn't bring anything to it, in my opinion. He was also a lot of trouble for them. Like, when they were doing press junkets for the film, Spielberg rather famously actually had to tell him not to pick his nose on camera during interviews. LaBeouf then went on himself to criticize the shit out of this movie during interviews for it. He said things like, I feel like they dropped the ball on the legacy. It's like, well, you were part of that. <laughs> You know, and and he actually criticized the scenery swinging around with the monkeys, which is one of the scenes I'm going to pick on the most when we get to it because it was dumber and shit. But it's like you. Oh, yeah. Right. But you did it. He then sort of transitioned from blaming the, the crew and Spielberg to blaming himself. And it became this whole weird thing. And since then, he's had a lot of. <laughs> A lot of weird things to say about it. <laughs> a lot of what? <laughs> you know, it, 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 he, he's talked about it, the impact on his career and stuff, and I don't know. I, 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 I would have probably preferred someone else play that part. That level <laughs> of, like, disrespect, like, after the movie is so insane, given, like, the reverence that this film 
treats his character. I mean, yes. like, granted, like, he's, like, kind of a buffoon. He's, like, a greaser. He's, he's uh, up and coming. But, like, in the opening credits, it's, you know, starring Harrison Ford. And he gets the, the very last actor credit, the and Shia LaBeouf. So he's, you know, that which is a cool thing. The way his character is introduced is actually a really cool Spielbergian shot. You have guys jumping on a train in the left of the frame. And, like, he rides his motorcycle in from the blinding white mist for some reason mm-hmm. on the right side of the frame. Like, but it, it does look pretty cool. And, like, obviously, I'm sure we'll get to it, but the whole reason this movie exists is to set him up as the heir apparent, basically, to Indiana Jones. Which is especially fantastic because afterward, Harrison Ford in interviews called him a fucking idiot, and David <laughs> Kopp, who contributed to some of the screenwriting in this movie and was apparently going to be involved in the next one they might make, Cop specifically came out and said LaBeouf is definitely not going to be involved in any more Indiana Jones movies. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. So, <laughs> screwed the pooch on that one. I, at the time I saw this movie, I was pretty anti-Shia LaBeouf because I just didn't like his career choices at the time. I, I guess I should go back a little bit. I did like Shia LaBeouf and even Stevens, and then as he started doing movies, I, he kind of started to get irritating to me with like the Transformers ones, obviously, and Suspiria. I know some people like it, but I really so, don't like you know Disturbia. the constant plagiarizing doesn't have any effect. Well, on that, that that is a little <laughs> bit later, but <laughs> so I, I I didn't like him because of all the film choices he was doing at the time. So I didn't like him in this movie. Now I, I do respect him as an actor. And I know Steve, it probably annoys you, but yes, I do <laughs> like when I, movies like honey boy and American honey and probably other movies with honey in the title. <laughs> uh, I do like him in those. So watching it back now, he doesn't really bother me that much because I kind of have uh, some respect for him. But he's instead no. Instead of debating Pappy about Blade Runner, I might have to debate you about Honey Boy. <laughs> he's no River Phoenix. No, no, no one's no one's ever going to be that kid, except maybe his brother. Joaquin is brilliant. He is great. Story question: I watched this movie twice in preparation, and I still don't know what is Mutt and Ox's relationship. Is that ever said? Like why? He only really says, Mutt only really says that for whatever reason, Oxley and his mother were close and that Oxley spent a lot of time hanging around when he was a kid and and would read stuff to him. But he also makes a point of bringing up later on that some other man who was a former RAF pilot was the guy he was raised thinking was his father. So Oxley wasn't really the stand in for his dad. He was just a guy that hung around. He was just having sex with Karen Allen. He wasn't acting (laughs) as like a father. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's kind of kind of funny that way, but I don't know. I guess my dad had a couple of friends when I was a kid that I thought were real neat guys, and I was always interested in what they had to say, so it's sort of something like that. Well, Mutt and Indiana Jones, they they sit down in a diner, and they kind of discuss the plot and give us a lot of exposition, which I think is fine. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's handled that badly, but I do have trouble following it. I think, Pappy, you mentioned this earlier. Like, I, I know that they need to get this crystal skull. They need to get Oxley. They need to get Miriam. But I am a little bit confused by, like, the alien thing. Like, I, the crystal skull was... Oxley had it, but then he he didn't have it. It wasn't in the warehouse. At the, I don't really know. Like, well, you and, know. like, they're, it, they're blackmailing. They're like, if, you, if we don't get the crystal skull, they're going to kill my mom. It's like, what does she have to do with any of this? It's so... You know, that's a good point. I did not put that together. I don't know what Marion, <laughs> like, what she's doing there at all. I, I, I'm guessing a bit because I agree with the two of you. They're never real specific about it. But I got the impression the idea was 
they got to the point where they knew Oxley wasn't really going to be useful to them and they needed someone else to help. And they eventually landed on the idea of using Indy and probably thought that Marion, for whatever reason, was a way to get to him. But even that's real loosey goosey, considering they obviously hadn't mm-hmm. talked in like 18 years at the point they grab him. I'll, I'll say this though, right? So the story sucks. It's a stupid fucking story. Yeah. Spielberg <laughs> probably knew it was a stupid fucking story that George Lucas wrote. They have to have this scene of exposition in the diner. Spielberg is talented and finds a way to make it visually entertaining, right? Yeah, there is a lot going on, but like the reason I, I watched it twice and stuff, no idea like what words they say is I'm fascinated by like what Shia LaBeouf's doing in the background, like dunking his comb <laughs> and someone else's Coke and like trying to steal a beer and stuff. Like there's at least enough like movement and energy in the frame. Like, and it's a really deep shot too, right? You see tables and tables of people like back there in the, in the diner. Like there's enough to keep you visually semi-interested while this like right. cockamamie story unfolds. Yeah, I do think it moves fast. I'm getting some vibes from Jurassic Park with like Dennis Nedry when he's like, and he, you know, oh, yeah. when he's finding out what he needs to do and he has like the whipped cream and he like puts it on the pie, like, or the shaving cream, I mean. But yeah, I know what you mean. See, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, Indy sort of meets the whole idea with derision, the Crystal Skull things. I think that was supposed to be the point there is that, like, even Indy thinks this is ridiculous because he's got no idea where they're going to end up with it. And Oxley's wasted his whole life on these silly Crystal Skulls and there's nothing to them and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, later we're going to find out that's not really the case. But, yeah, not a great scene. Uh, Dylan, maybe you can tell us about kind of what that leads into, like the big chase scene, starting with the uh, the, the outsiders fighting the Soches. Yeah, certainly. I also just think like Indy's uh, ambivalence towards the whole thing is confusing because like he spent three movies finding things where he wasn't exactly sure like what they were gonna be able to do these like mystic items, and now suddenly he just like really quickly discounts this one. That I found that to be a bit surprising, but. <laughs> Uh, anyway, they noticed that two of the, I think it's the FBI guys that are tailing them in- initially in the diner that interrogated uh, Indiana Jones, but then some Russians get involved in a minute here. But they basically start a jocks versus greasers fight in the diner <laughs> to to escape this thing. And then we get uh, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the motorcycle chase. This felt very classic indie to me. Steve, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, not quite at the level of um, Indy and Henry Jones Sr. getting chased by Nazis in in uh, uh, the third one, but it was it was kind of a fun point. One of the one of the more Indy esque moments in the film, I would definitely agree. I think it's benefited by the lack of huge like CGI like gears yeah. flying at you and shit. Yeah. So that that makes it kind of cool. Right. I mean, obviously, there's uh, a lot of stuntman work, which is good and bad. You know, you, <laughs> it's good in that there's actual people doing things, so that's cool. Um, it's bad in that you know you see the back of Harrison Ford's head a lot, but you know <laughs> that's just kind of the way it goes. Right. It's just I, I you, we see Harrison Ford crack a whip at the beginning of the movie, and I see exactly what he's like kinetically, physically capable of. I know he's not capable of like holding onto a motorcycle like that. Like, there's just no way. <laughs> what is he, like 80? Hey, it, it probably would have, I don't know, it might have also been like over the top as a reference, but it might have been more fun if Mud had stolen a bike with a, a motorcycle with a sidecar. And, yeah. Uh, you know, and then Indy, oh, yeah. Indy could have been the stand-in for the Sean Connery character. But... Uh. How is that related to the movie Over the Top? 
<laughs> uh, well, Stallone, you see, was a truck driver in that movie. <laughs> uh, so what happens is, basically, Mutt and Indiana Jones, they are on a quest together to go. They have a letter, so they have their first National Treasure-style clue. They got to decode it. They got to go to Peru, which they do. Meanwhile, they're being tailed by Russians the whole time. That's a lot of the movie, right? It's them on their quest to find the Crystal Skull. At least that's where they are here. So they go to Peru. Oh, the quest was a different movie. Oh, yes. That's the, <laughs> they go to the quest. They see it in theaters. Right? <laughs> the quest is to see a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie 40 years before it actually came out. <laughs> they come out saying it was way too much like Bloodsport. Right. <laughs> Uh, but basically, in Peru, they there's a few things that happen. You know, it's kind of slow. They, the characters get to know each other. It seems like they kind of like each other. You know, they respect each other at least. And uh, eventually, they're led to a cemetery at night on a dark, spooky night. There is a few things that happen here, but first, outside in that, I guess, outer area of the cemetery, Pappy, um, we, we see Kino from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Did you recognize him? <laughs> I, You know I hate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kylo. <laughs> I do. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, it's a very cinema sinsy criticism, but it's like, are these people just hanging out like in the boneyard waiting for like any trespassers to come? Like, what's, what's happening? I don't know. And there's a lot of humor here, too, that didn't exactly work for me, like Shia LaBeouf falling down a broken ladder and like Harrison Ford taking the stairs and stuff i i don't know i mean it's pretty forgettable i guess you have to have like the harrison ford fighting with indigenous people scene so we get it here (laughs) yeah we get that a few times uh i don't know i just like seeing ernie reyes jr this is the only person he kills though right like he blows the poison dart oh yeah back in his mouth and this is like the only time i actually see him doing it's a two-sided dart yeah Exactly. Right? That's how that like, works. <laughs> I did like the blow dart, even if it was a bit impractical. I thought that was a fun touch, but yeah, I don't know if it would necessarily work. But So part of that doesn't make any fucking sense to me is, like, I, I don't want to belabor it, but Indy tells Mutt this whole story about a conquistador called Francisco de Oriana, who was a real guy, and who did at one point unsuccessfully spend some time looking for the lost city of gold. Obviously, because it doesn't exist. But, Same. uh... Yeah, <laughs> um, El Dorado. But uh, the whole story point here is supposed to be that in the world, in the universe of this movie, that Oriano and his, and his fellow conquistadors actually found, found the city, discovered the skulls, stole one of the skulls, tried to get back to their ship, and then somewhere along the line got killed or killed each other, and ended up being buried in this, this grave in the middle of the jungle. Fine. But they never answer the question of how they died and if the natives were the ones that killed them. And in any case, the natives clearly know where they're buried. The natives also know where El Dorado actually is, which they they use a different name for it in the film. But why would they not have taken the skull back to El Dorado themselves instead of leaving it in this grave for hundreds of years? Yeah, not just leaving it in a grave, leaving it like beneath the body of the commander of the opposing forces who stole it. Like this holy artifact. Like what? You would never do that. It's just chucked beneath it, yeah. And and all the conquistadors are wrapped in this material that has kept their bodies preserved. Like why show that level of respect to the bodies of men who stole 
literally a skull of one of your gods. They are people of honor, Steve. <laughs> right? No, fuck that. Samurai would kill people on the on the battlefield. They would take the heads with them to prove that they'd done it. Like, that's, no. Steve's weeb fa- samurai fetish always emerges. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. But no, those guys were badass. And like, the, 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 those kinds of tribes don't, I don't, I just don't see it. Like, enemies steal the skull from one of your literal gods and you're just like, all right, let's wrap them up and preserve them and leave the skull with them. <laughs> Why? Because it would be cool if someone undoes it and then they slowly disintegrate. (laughs) (laughs) They're playing the long game, Steve. Oh, man. All right. What do you guys think of the look of the crystal skull itself, the titular uh, MacGuffin? Looks like something somebody would have bought in a discovery store in a mall in 1998 and then spent 10 years telling all their friends had some kind of weird magical powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very specific story, Steve. Did that happen to you? <laughs> happened to somebody I knew, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Not a lot of creativity in it. It's just kind of run-of-the-mill, xenomorph-looking, humanoid, alien-looking... You know, yeah. didn't like they didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what they wanted yeah. it to look like, dude. How crazy, much crazier would this movie have been if they tied it into the alien universe and it really there was a go. xenomorph skull? Like <laughs> that would be cool, actually. <laughs> right? yeah. Although I guess the xenomorphs probably would not have built a city of gold. <laughs> it's a, what if it was a, a Jar Jar skull, <laughs> like just crystal Jar oh, Jar shaped skull? Yeah, Dylan's reaction was correct there. Interdimensional I, Jar Jar, Steve. Would have strangled myself in the movie theater. I'm sure George Lucas asked for it at one point. You know, they can be Gungans. Gungans. I actually thought at one point during the film it might have been really funny if the skulls actually looked like E.T.'s skull and Spielberg could have tied it in and said they were the same species. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> E.T. skull, damn. I mean, it wouldn't be the actual E.T. from the movie. It'd just be another member of the yeah, same species. Yeah, like Botanicus. His uncle Botanicus. <laughs> That's a canonical E.T. character. It is. You're right. I always forget about it until someone brings it up. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to say is that after Indiana Jones fights the uh, local parkourists that are is that parkourists is that a word whatever yes sounds right that they're defending the grave him and mutt explore like the inner tomb and i know we were talking about like the result of that but i just want to say i do like that scene it's very slow and it's you know them moving through and figuring out how to like open the chambers and stuff that's indiana jones shit right there i agree with you about that it did feel very indiana jones but it also felt kind of like they were laying back too hard on that scene with mary uh no not with marion with um kate capshaw's character and the other kid in 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 temple of doom where they're trying yeah to, it felt exactly like that right and they're, they're, he's got to she's got to stick her hand into the port with all the insects in it to open the door so we just so the two of them don't get crushed I see. It's been a while since I've seen that, so I couldn't make the mental comparison. I watched him a handful of months ago just because it had been a while since I've seen him. And like, this, as soon as I watched that scene in this movie, I was like, this is, feels like it's leaning back awfully hard on something they've already done. But Well, weird thing about interviews and like behind the scenes stuff that I saw George Lucas talking about it is that he wanted to couch this in like a 50s B movie in the same way that the original Indiana Jones were sort of couched and framed as like, you know, the serials of the 30s. He wanted this to be in the timing of the 50s B movie. But 
it's fucking not that at all. It's just an Indiana no. Jones with an alien story. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. He was really, from what I've heard, maybe you read differently. From what I've heard, he was really aiming for a lot of the B films made by a studio called Allied during the 50s. And yeah, I think you're right. He, he missed missed the mark. But. 50s B movie. It's nothing like a 50s B movie. Right. And like, I'm related to people that directed some 50s B movies. I'm not even saying they were good ones, but they, at least those were actual <laughs> 50s B movies. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what comes to mind. Like, Forbidden Planet? Yeah, I'm I mean, Creature like, from the Black Lagoon. Uh, you know. The Fly? Mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is like, that's such a stupid idea, and then directs War of the Worlds next. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, there are parts of that movie I kind of like. I know that's a dirty thing to admit to, but. It's okay, Steve. Yeah, well, we should do it as a pod one time, and we'll talk about that. would love to. <laughs> Where the story takes us is Indiana Jones and Mutt, who have the Crystal Skull, are captured by the Russians. That kind of happens a lot. I think it's kind of typical of this type of story, so yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing. But it does happen here. Uh, they're taken to Peru, where they're, I guess, trying to figure out what to do with the skull, trying to take it to the place that you take it to to get... Palpatine-style unlimited power. Uh, Dylan, maybe you can tell us about like what goes on in the camp and uh, where it takes us to from the camp. Yeah, so the camp is uh, interesting. We're introduced very quickly to Ox. Ox has been found. He is also, uh, you know, in control of the Russians right now, or controlled by the Russians. Uh, when I saw Ox, I had absolutely zero memory of the character or that John Hurt played him yeah, when I rewatched this. Yeah. I, yeah, I did not remember this at all. <laughs> I was like, William Hurt um, or John Hurt? Okay, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he comes in, he's swinging a stick around and kind of acting loony, and uh, Indy realizes he's pretty far gone, and uh, the answer to why he's this far gone comes pretty quickly as they hook Indy up to... Basically, this like brainwave reading device. I forget what that's exactly called. Uh, but they tell him, We want you to get through to uh, John Hurt's character, so we're just going to have you also, you know, approach the edge of this knowledge that the skull provides. And we get this kind of intense stare down with the crystal skull. Borgolette will know the truth. <laughs> no? No Rogue One fans? <laughs> I like Rogue One. <laughs> I do not remember that at all. <laughs> no, probably my least favorite part of Rogue One, but that's fine. Borgolette! We'll know the truth. Um, what, so what happens when he looks at the skull, Pappy? Or can you tell me? Like, I don't quite understand it. Does he Does he have a mental link? It told me to take it back. That's what <laughs> tells him to take it back. I have to return it. Why you? Because it told me to. I don't know. It's really lame. Man, I hate everything in this whole, like, camp and tent scene. And, like, they're talking. And in the world. Yeah, basically. They're talking earlier, too, and, they're, and like, they're saying that this alien is different than the alien that they saw in the Area 51 thing. Like, Yeah, you, I didn't understand that. She said something like they're distant cousins or something, and it's just so, it's just such a classic George Lucas muddying the waters. Like, why do these waters need any more muddying? I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah, at this point, the lore makes zero sense behind, like, the aliens. Like, at this point, I was just like, okay, so we need to take the skull to this place. That's about all I'm going right. to, like, keep in my mind at this point. It, it, the, the lore is not clear at all. We do get to see Miriam, the return of Miriam, which I think in my mind I did want before seeing the movie. <laughs> I think I was like, she, she, she should come back, you know? She's, like, the original one. But they don't do anything with her, do they? Not really. 
I she she's kind of there to like help drive vehicles and stuff. I felt more I felt like they needed her there more just because they realized that some of those action scenes would require an additional person than because they really had any interest in bringing her back. But certainly you're not going to get Kate Cap- Capshaw back because her and Spielberg had a real nasty divorce. So hmm. <laughs> I could have been your greatest adventure. Was there another love interest of Indiana Jones? No, it went from Marion to Willie, the Kate Capshaw character, and then, well, the third... Elsa. Yeah, Elsa sort of in the third one, but she became a bad person. Like, he realized before the movie was over that she wasn't really... She was a Nazi? Yeah, so... Yeah. I I think this might be the biggest mistake that the movie makes, honestly, is bringing back Karen Allen at this point in the story. Like, there, there... there should have been way more of a development between the father and the son, which has been a huge part of the Indiana Jones story, father and son relationships between Mm. Shia LaBeouf and Harrison Ford. Like once the mom is back in the picture, the movie doesn't even bother to spend any time developing the father son relationship. It's all about like their romantic chemistry, which could have happened within like the last 15 minutes of the movie, to be honest. There's nothing of substance there anyway. So they should have brought back, um, Damn it! What's the kid's name in in Crusade? Data. Yeah, I mean it's the same same character, same actor. Yeah, they should have brought him back. He was awesome. I would have sat through seeing him in, again. That oh, man. The stupid guys up there told me to use the stairs when Data's falling. Data said nobody's care anymore. He's okay. Short round. Oh, short, short round. round. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was wanted to call him Chow Yun Fat for a second. I'm like, no, that's definitely someone else. What? <laughs> <laughs> but our group does escape the camp dylan they find their way to it's not quicksand what is it it's something else sand it's like it's a dry sand pit something Mm -hmm. like that Uh, how how do you feel about that whole moment we learned some valuable data there (laughs) i might be in the minority based on what i feel like somebody might have mentioned earlier but i actually really enjoyed this like not i'll call it quicksand for the sake of easiness but I, I enjoy the quicksand scene, scene. Uh, i mean you got a classic indiana jones snake joke i'm not sure the physics of it really work on pulling this snake like a rope but no uh, i do like that but before that you kind of get this conversation where uh marion reveals that uh, mutt williams is in fact henry jones the third which wasn't exactly a bombshell reveal at this moment <laughs> but uh <laughs> that was that was kind of to be expected i felt they definitely murdered that snake <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Also, the, if they're gonna pound on the joke that hard, then it's a total missed opportunity for for Indy to say, "Why did it have to be a snake?" But you know, yeah. And what else they got? You know, right? It's a shitty scene anyway. I might as well double down on it. <laughs> <laughs> Was this the part you were talking about earlier, Steve? Like your? It's one of them. Yeah, I think this one. And I may as well just say it. This in the part with the fucking chimps just are too much for me. <laughs> Uh. so yeah i mean we can talk about it now it's fine this escape using the snake to pull out of the sand pit it kind of bleeds into their next escape which is a a very long action sequence that is kind of broken up into multiple parts it escalates right it escalates and escalates at first it's just your typical yes well yes at first it's your typical car chase through the jungle but I guess before monkeys, Pappy, what did you think of the sword fighting? I feel like... <laughs> okay, it looks terrible, first of all. First yes. and foremost, it looks like shit. Like, it's, this is some of the worst CGI. 
I feel like in the bones of some original draft of this story or, or some earlier draft of this, there was more of a Shia LaBeouf's character is lost and has never felt like connected, right? Because he has this whole backstory where he's been to all of these prep schools and he's learned to debate and sort and, and fence and so, like all, all these other things, but he has no interest in that. And it's just totally not utilized at all except in this moment where Karen Allen's like calling out sword moves for him to do like as he's ba <laughs> battling um oh, what's her name the, the at Kate Winslet Spelko, yeah Spelko, whatever it is yeah it's just such a ridiculous sight to be s seen like this sword fight with Kate Winslet and Shia LaBeouf <laughs> I want to say though that it could have been fucking awesome yeah like if it was really happening which may be impossible for all I know if there were two cars, jeeps or whatever, driving parallel, and there was a person standing on each of them, sword fighting, and they were really driving, and it was really happening on camera, I think it might actually be really cool. Yeah, there, there were, could have been better. I would agree with that. Like, it, I think one of the reasons for me it didn't look great is because it became really obvious when they were intercutting long shots of stunt people versus close-ups of them really being stationary with the screen moving behind them. I kept thinking to myself, you know what still looks fantastic is the speeder bike chase on Endor. And that's from like, what, 80 or 81? Yeah. And and like this movie's much newer than that and doesn't look that good. So, hmm. yeah. Anyway. There is a shot where like 60-year-old Karen Allen hits her head on a jungle branch going probably 50 miles an hour and yeah. just kind of like bounces. Oh, yeah, that was death. Yes. I, yeah, that should have cracked her open. Absolutely. That makes me laugh, though. I like it. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I was wondering about that when I saw it. I was like, is she incapacitated for the rest of the movie? Like, what is, what is she this? She should have been incapacitated for the rest of time. She should have been decapitated, like... not just incapacitated. <laughs> Shia also loses his ability to have children. He's just getting, like, whacked in the crotch every five <laughs> seconds, straddling these two cars. A good contribution to humanity, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. He's, like, doing, not, like, the splits, but he has one leg on each Jeep that are that's driving parallel to each other, and he starts getting the multiple nut shots. <laughs> Pretty fucking stupid. I will say, the thing I think I actually dislike about this sequence the most is just honestly how little Indy is given to do. Like, what, what does he do? He takes over one car that only has, like, two people in it that are going to fight him because the other two are Ox and, and Mac. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't really think of anything significant he even does during this pretty long chase, and that was, like, definitely a bummer by the end. I'm like, Indy didn't... He was just given nothing to do. I don't know if it's really the case, but I get the feeling, especially at that point in the film, that what they were really trying to do was set this up so that Shia LaBeouf's character would return in the next film and would really become sort of the focus of the story. And that they wanted this to be like the transition point, and it wasn't working for me. You know, I don't know. We've been talking around the CGI monkeys, but I think that like... <laughs> <laughs> Compare the use of monkeys in this movie to the use of the monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's very indicative of a, like a, a tonal shift between the yeah. two movies. Like the fucking first of all, the real monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark does a Hitler salute, which is fucking bananas to see like a monkey do that. Like someone had to teach a monkey to do that. Well, that's wild to think about. And then they they kill the monkey in that movie. Like they poison the monkey and kill it. Here they don't even have the balls to like... Bad dates. They don't even have the balls to send a CGI monkey off a cliff. It gets caught in a tree. You know what I mean? It's just kind of... 
a softened movie from an older filmmaker who has grandchildren now. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I was watching some of the Raiders stuff, and like during the chase through Cairo, the foot chase with Miriam and Jones, there's one moment where he like goes up to a guy that's driving a truck, and the guy's in the driver's seat, and he just shoots him in the fucking head, like right in the temple. Like yeah. I was like, damn. Let's, I mean, to the point about the older filmmaker getting softer, like when Spielberg did... Spielberg did a remastering of E.T. for its first really big release on DVD, right? You know exactly what I'm going to say. He removed instances where people were holding guns and used CG to replace the guns with walkie-talkies because all of a sudden, 25 years after the movie had come out, he thought the gun was somehow a problem. No one was complaining about it. It was never a problem. That was after the special editions, right? Yeah, I mean, that was several years after. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas got in his head? I probably. You know, <laughs> I can't imagine Spielberg looking at Cat Eye's Jabba and going, yeah, I can do something with this, but... <laughs> here we go. Right? It has to happen once a pod. You know what you're getting when you invite me to be here. <laughs> it's weird to me that Mutt just, like, becomes king of the monkeys. Like, he, <laughs> he earns their respect somehow. Like Shia LaBeouf, king of the monkeys, is now how I'm going to refer to him forever. Because <laughs> when he gets caught in a vine and he leaves the Jeep and he's up in the trees, like, the monkey looks at him and he looks at the monkey and there's, like, a moment of understanding. <laughs> and then they, like, start swinging toward the Jeeps together. <laughs> like, it's so fucking weird. And then the monkeys fight the communists. Oh, it's ludicrous. <laughs> the capitalist monkeys. They believe in free enterprise. <laughs> Yeah. We're, we're building up to a crossover. It's going to be Indiana Jones, the third, and the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> With big damn ants, too. Uh. The action scene continues, though. Doesn't it, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, we get some uh, some battling by a cliffside, um, but ultimately they kind of go off this little ledge and into this kind of big open area with a big mound in the middle. And you're like, all right, I don't know what this could be, but... I was just more hit by the fact that everybody in Indy's car should have died when the other car just ran right over them. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but that I, I would <laughs> just, like, put my hands up. Like, what was that? There's no way they all would have gotten out of the way when that giant wheel or whatever it was went about bowling oh, through. Oh, I forgot about that. Right? Yeah. And then it was just doubling down, because they probably should have been killed there, and they probably should have been killed a second time when the vehicle went over the cliff, and they probably should have been killed a third time when the Russians' car landed on top of them. But, yeah. I mean, it's like a common indie thing to have, like, semi-unrealistic, like, surviving things. I mean, Temple of Doom, they basically ride a a raft, like, down from a plane and over a waterfall and everything. But for some reason, this one just feels so much worse. I don't know what it is, but, like, like this one, I just, I watch it. I'm like, there was no reason to have them literally get run over by a car. I feel no danger from that. I more just feel confused. They completely... Like between the between the minecart chase in Temple and the motorcycle chase in Last Crusade, they'd already nailed chases in Indiana Jones movies. They should have just not included any in this one. None? It, it, none? None. Mm. No vehicle chases. You guys have done it already. Find something else. Hot air balloons, zip lines, car. <laughs> like find something else to do. Like you guys have you guys have mastered the wheeled chase already. A zip line? Like they strap in and like they go. Right? Yeah, something, you know. Who they're knows? just fist punching, dangling from wire. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hang glider. Hang glider. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, something like that. A riverboat chase. You know, he's never he's never really had a big fight like on a river. They could have been bouncing oh, back yeah, and I could forth. See that. You know, they, maybe they were on that river trying to get to El Dorado and they could have had a back and forth fight between the boats. Would have been something yeah. new. 
<laughs> it sounds like you're describing like James Bond movies where like the it's, chases lead him to like these weird like a ski chase and like a, a riverboat yeah. chase. I will concede you that's a good point and you're right. You are right. But you know, you think about some of the Bond scenes for chase scenes versus some of the Indiana Jones scenes, I think there's a lot of uh like inherent similarity there anyway. I mean obviously Indiana Jones isn't the spy movie, but like it's the general concept is like these people are after this guy and he's got to make this big escape it's sort of there's a lot of a lot of commonality there right. i've gotten the sense too that that's what they want especially disney wants the franchise to be right they're going to recast indiana jones <laughs> they're probably going to get rid of all of this you know what i mean he's basically a superhero that they can just reboot and use as they please yeah oh my god no you're right spot on i hadn't even considered the possibility of a disney helmed indiana jones reboot and now i'm sad well they don't own it right it's they do yeah, paramount? paramount owns it I thought, I thought, right. really i thought yeah no paramount paramount's owned by uh wait actually you might be no paramount's owned by cbs yes yeah because I watched it on CBS All Access, right. not Disney Plus. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was gonna say you'd think they'd be on Disney Plus. So yeah, yeah I guess Disney not. owns ABC. Yeah. Speaking of which, Disney does have an Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. It is weird. Not at Disney ride. World, but it's fucking awesome. It's I a, love that ride. I love too. that ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes me it so happy great. every time I'm on it, dude. It's a good one. It's like I, I, I was. I'm still to this day sad that they trimmed out a portion of the original Jungle Cruise to make room for it. But if they were gonna have to do it, doing it for that was worth it. Fuck yeah. It's better yeah. than this movie. It was. <laughs> Guarantee that it's better than this so movie. I, th I think Disney actually does part own it. I did some quick research real quick. I think that they acquired like Lucas's rights to it because I think it was like split between Lucas, like Spielberg and Ford to some extent, but they are the ones oh, who... that's what it is. But way back in 2016, they've announced that they were starting the process of Indiana Jones 5. So whoa, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I know that like the six people that open the Six Flags theme parks have a deal, a licensing deal with Warner Brothers that lets them use Looney Tunes characters, but they don't actually own the Looney Tunes. I kind of thought the same thing was going on with Disney, but I guess I guess it's more involved than that. Was originally slated for July 2019, pushed to July 2020, delayed again now to July 2021. I think part of what was delaying it was the, the decision that they didn't want LaBeouf to be back. I mean that sincerely. I'm not even picking on the I mean, I want to pick on the guy, but I'm not. Wait, July 2021. That's what it's this year. Still, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, this is the article is from February 26th of 2020, so... Well, it changed and, after the, that, yeah. Yeah, and in the lead-up to Crystal Skull, Harrison Ford actually specifically told Spielberg that if, if you guys can't get this made before a certain year, I'm just going to bow out. So I think at this point, there's a chance the next one might not actually have Harrison Ford in it. Damn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Probably for the best. Yeah. To kind of get back on track where we were story-wise, there's we, we see all the, the ants that come up out of the mounds that Dylan was talking about. There's... Uh, some bullshit going on with that kind of <laughs> felt like the mummy to me in a way yeah know? well funnily enough one of the this this film had multiple writers contribute to it and I think David his first name David Kopp is his last name did, wrote the final version but one of the guys that contributed significantly to this script actually went on to write the the version of the mummy with um, Tom Cruise in it oh 
No, yeah. No. The Dark Universe, dude. Yeah. I love the Dark Universe. <laughs> I, I love the Dark Universe Who conceptually. Doesn't? Boy, Uni Universal really screwed the pooch on that. That could have been such a cool setup, like modern Wolfman. It really and, so, yeah, exactly. And Creature from the Black Lagoon and Vampire. And, like, and I remember going to a theater, we're way off topic now, but I remember going to a theater to see that, that version of Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman in it. <laughs> and the moment I saw that, I'm like, Universal is going to screw this pooch as hard as it possibly can. Like, yeah, there's been a lot of misses from them. All misses. All misses. Unbelievable you got that much IP to work with and you just fuck every opportunity at it. Pardon well, me. I mean, they did the Dracula Untold, which I think intentionally was supposed to be the first of that dark universe before it was like even announced. I think the, that was the thought process. I thought the first one was supposed to be the version of Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro in it. And... I thought that was disconnected. I thought it was Dracula. Then they tried again with I Frankenstein. Um, oh, but God. Maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we talked about the cliff, right? The waterfalls. Whatever. I mean, I think the reason that it's easier to pick on this movie with things like the waterfall drop and all these little nitpicky things we're bringing up is that since the movie itself and the story is bad, like, I think you're more apt to pick out these moments and say, that's fucking yeah. stupid. You know? <laughs> I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Quick defense, though. I know we I know we breezed over, but I think Ants good. The movie? Uh, no, no. Well, <laughs> I haven't seen. That. Bugs Life is far superior of the two, but agreed. <laughs> I, 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 the ants genuinely creepy for me. I hate ants. I thought that worked. Yeah, that was fun. I, that that was supposed to go into Last Crusade. There was a scene very, very much like that that was originally written into the early draft for Last Crusade. And they didn't use it, and. Uh, I think it does feel like a callback to the older indie films. I think the ants are good. I think the fight going on, like, surrounded by ants is a little bit boring. Just, like, the main Russian brute versus indie. Like, the thing I was noticing is, like, I, I kept comparing it to Raiders in my head. Like, Me the too. fight around the airplane. And, like, in that fight, Indy is kind of, I mean, he's kind of losing big time. Like, he's getting beat up pretty heavily by the guy uh, in, in Raiders. And then this just kind of feels like, pretty boring like he punches him now he gets punched like it, i don't know it felt a little bit just too like 50 50 back and forth whereas indy it's like okay is he gonna even survive this like how can he figure his way out in raiders in that raiders was the, difference. the first time he gets hit he falls down so you're yeah like he's met his match and beyond that in raiders like the the guy's huge and indy like hits him a few times the guy hits indy once he's down and you're like oh fuck he can't fight this guy yeah exactly i, I agree and and I think the worst part of it for me was John Hurt's Ox, Oxley pulling the skull out to keep the ants away. It's just too too heavy. Like it, every single time they're in trouble, just take the skull out. The ants are attacking you, pull the skull out. The natives are attacking you, pull the skull out. You got a problem, pull the skull out. Mortal Kombat fatality. Pull, pull the, the skull, skull out. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Uh, our heroes make it to their final destination where they learn that there were 13 aliens and something like Tony Shalhoub has to sacrifice himself to save his kids. Is that right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Monk specifically that has to make the sacrifice, you know. Uh, they got to make their way through like the pyramid and stuff. Pappy, why don't you tell us about kind of what is going on up to that point? So, uh, one thing that, that's also happening in the background, Mac is a triple agent, it turns out, which is a fun <laughs> reveal. So, he's been leaving 
tracking devices along the way the whole time. Um, there's just so much that's like really unclear here. Like they're they're looking at the outside of this cave that kind of looks like a skull, and Harrison Ford's like, I gotta go in alone. And then the next shot is they're just all in there together, and there's no explanation <laughs> of like what happened or why <laughs> that that changed or anything. I don't know. Like you said, the interior again, I think is very Indiana Jones. Looks really cool. I I don't know if you want to talk about like the sand trap thing as well. I mean, pretty stupid. I don't like sand. With the faces and everything. Like how they get in the obelisk and stuff. Like how. So Ox had been there before. Who is refilling the sand? You know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's the natives. I would say the natives, but they've been sealed inside stone columns in the cave for, I guess, all of time. So I don't understand that at all. Yeah, they got to rebuild those every time. (laughs) There's a part where Indy says that Oxley had made it into the walls of the city and past the natives, but couldn't get into the temple. So maybe that's what they meant, that, like, Oxley got oh, okay. up to that point and, but couldn't figure out how to make the sandblock part work and had never opened it. Because otherwise, you guys are completely right. It doesn't make any sense that they would have just redone it like that. Not for nothing, too. It's like this, like, I don't what would you call it? Like a monument-looking thing, four sides. There's about four by four rows of heads on each thing, and they damn near show you every single head being removed. It's like a 90-minute sequence of watching sand <laughs> drain from this obos. It's watching a fucking hourglass. It's, that's never been entertaining ever in a movie since Wizard yeah. of Oz. It's horrible. Yeah, the traps, the traps and like obstacles and set pieces aren't that captivating. Like this is like here is where I'm comparing it to Last Crusade again. Like the three trials, there's like a there's like a puzzle aspect to it that's really tough. Like and the stakes are really high. Here, I just feel like they're just kind of walking around. Like oh, I guess we gotta empty the sand. I don't know. I just the inherent concept like, of the trap was just a boring concept. I don't know. so lame. The one part of it where it worked for me was when they get further down and they're in that sort of anteroom that's outside the throne room and they realize, or because Indies is the one who says it, but that the these dimensional travelers were basically sort of archaeologists and they'd collected all these artifacts from various ancient civilizations and there's all this stuff in there that's like Assyrian and Babylonian and prehistorical. I thought that that anteroom was neat. It's like, how cool is that to come across this like interdimensional travelers storage space from a time thousands of years ago when they were collecting these artifacts. But other than that, I'd agree. The rest of it was pr- pretty uneventful. I think Dylan's right though. You like, when you compare it to something as memorable as last crusade, where like getting to the end point in the yeah. cave or whatever it is, like it's so memorable and cool. And like yeah. this, it, I won't remember it in a few weeks, like how he did it. No, I'd for- actually yeah. forgotten it prior to this most recent rewatching. I hadn't seen this movie. I saw this movie once in theaters when it came out, and a second time, like two years later, on home video, and that was the last time I'd watched it. I had no memory of this this specific part. Yeah, the stakes aren't there either because, like in Last Crusade, it's like okay, we got to do this, we got to do it right, we got to do it fast, so we can save Sean Connery. Right. This one, all we're going on is like. Uh, it wants me to return the skull. Like, that's such a cheap reason to be driving them through this, like, long puzzle-solving aspect. <laughs> and maybe you Indiana Jones experts could help me, because I don't remember Last Crusade as right. thoroughly as I'd like. But doesn't Sean Connery become, like, immortal or something with the with the chalice? They, like, they don't really make him immortal, but it, the cup water from it heals a bullet wound. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Highlander. Because wasn't it the villain? The villain <laughs> shot him as, like, 
like a, a sort of motivator for Indy to go in there and get the grail. That was like kind of the um, setup, I think. I might be yeah, wrong on that. I think you're but. right about that. Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to free the, the Nazis were trying to force Indy into that that tomb and he didn't want to go because they didn't know the invisible bridge was there and then they shoot him. Yeah. There is one line in that room though, and you might want to cut this, Kylo. It's up to you. You're the editor, but Indy goes, I think I understand, Ox. Someone came. Someone came. And it's just the way that he says it, it's so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one expands upon that point. It's very standalone, and I had to pause it and like face palm for like twenty seconds. Yeah, his name was George Lucas. <laughs> that is good shit, Dylan. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that secret room that they uncover. They get to the end point. They see the uh, alien skeletors. They find the Ewok skeletons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And then we uh, get the like confirmation that yeah, Mac is gonna stab him in the back again. And uh, the Russians have arrived. They've they've made their way down into this uh, into this room in typical Indiana Jones fashion. They've let Indy do all the work and then catch up. Uh, and this is where Irina kind of takes the takes the skull and she's like, all right, it's time for me to take over, figure out what's going on. And the skull jumps out of her hand and. Uh, I feel like there's a throwaway line from Ox about, like, the aliens are going to give them a reward, but that just does not come back at all. Yeah. Did, he, did anybody else pick up on that? No, absolutely. It's just they're going to give them a reward, and they, there's no payoff at all. And it's also, when, yeah. when you see what's going to happen once the skull is on there, there's no payoff on what Irina had been talking about earlier in the movie, where, like, we're going to have all this power, and we can control everyone's thoughts. Like, nothing like that was on offer at all. I don't understand where that even came from. Is the reward they just fucking kill you? <laughs> yeah, I mean the reward. Yeah, you seems ascend to, be... to a higher consciousness where your you know head blows up and then you get sucked into a million pieces right. into the sky. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was dying watching that. Maybe the reward is we're gonna suck the Russians away from you. I don't know. <laughs> it's like she goes out like fucking the Riddler in Batman Forever. She like <laughs> she like wants all the knowledge, but like it consumes her or something, right? And like yeah, it does. And what a what a lack of like when you compare to the like the end of Arc, the Nazis get their fucking faces melted off. Right. That's that's awesome. Part of the climax in Temple, you see the shaman pull a heart, a beating heart out of somebody's body who lives through it. Mm. Fucking awesome. You know the end, yeah. end of Crusade, you get the invisible bridge and the and the. The, the, the sort of neat etherealness of the, the crusader and finding the Ark. And at this one, it's just like, we'll suck this chick into a into a, a tube or whatever. She's going to go somewhere else. <laughs> you get to see an alien. <laughs> that is my least favorite moment of CGI in this movie. I know we talked about the monkeys, but when the alien takes his CGI form and then just like narrows his eyes and looks at the camera, <laughs> like I just burst out laughing every time. He just like scowls at her in disapproval. <laughs> yeah. It's such a lame scowl. It's just, it's just like eyeballs. Like it's so dumb looking. The practical puppets they used for ET. ET was what eighty four somewhere around there. The practical puppet they used for ET looked better than that. They should have just used another practical. Do you remember right. the uh, Eiffel sixty five smash hit song blue? "I'm Blue"? Do you remember the music yes. video for that? A hundred percent. The aliens in that look better than the alien in this. <laughs> like it's it's true. It's so unoriginal and like. 
Yeah, to your point, he's like, he wants to give you a reward, and they show the alien, he's just there looking grumpy as fuck. Like, <laughs> why <laughs> right. is he so mad? <laughs> right, there's, we're so grateful you returned us. We're going to uh, return the skull. We're going to blast everyone now later. He's like Jafar. <laughs> ah, yes, your reward. Your eternal reward. <laughs> That's great. <sighs> the look of the ship fucking sucks, too. It does. And it's so, like invoking of uh, close encounters of a third kind, right? Like the big ending is a spaceship flying away, but this is just gray and plain and with no detail. And you compare that to like the mothership and like uh, close encounters. It's got all these like wires and colors and like antennas and stuff. It's just so generic flying saucer. Very generic. That's another one. That movie's from what late seventies, and the ship looks better than the ship in this day. Well, the build up to the ship in that movie is so well done. I think. Yeah. Like the whole movie is building up to this moment. <laughs> right. I don't know if this movie was building up to this moment. You know? I don't think they knew what it was building up to. <laughs> I feel like the writers or Lucas or someone at some point had the idea that like let's build the movie around these alien interdimensional traveler things, and then the rest of it was just like how can we get them to there. <laughs> Monkeys, vines. Yeah. There's going to be a jungle car chase and a greaser kid played by an asshole and whatever. Let's use that bad idea we scrapped from Back to the Future. Cause... <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. And the ants were supposed to be from Crusade. Maybe Lucas and Spielberg got together and said, let's just combine all the ideas that didn't get used on movies we worked on 30 years Oh, my years God. Ago. It's literally a movie of table scraps. Right? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter if they are coherent together at all. Just toss them in. Why not? Lucas is going to edit together table scraps from American Graffiti and then claim that's the movie he wanted to make to begin with. Like... Mm. <laughs> but, like, speaking of incoherent, like, the emotions like, here when they're, like, it's like the end of the adventure, like, before the epilogue, I guess if you'd call it that, but they're, like, Mutt is just gonna walk off into the jungle by himself. He's like, I'm out of here. See you guys. And Harrison Ford goes, why don't you stick around, Junior? And Mutt goes, I don't know. Why didn't you stick around, Dad? And Harrison Ford just, like, smiles and laughs at that. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) Well, I I mean, on top of which, like, you know exactly why. Your mother hid your existence. So what are you mad about? (laughs) I'm sorry I wasn't around to help raise a kid I didn't know even existed. Bizarre. so strange <laughs> fucking a yeah i should be feeling like relief that they've made it through maybe some awe at like the ufo ascending and i was just like ready to like move on from this <laughs> right. scene i was like okay we made it also really nitpicky thing but i don't know if this bothered anybody else i just couldn't help but notice like how clean everybody looked by the end like i, I think of temple of doom <laughs> and like indy's shirt is all ripped and he looks like he's just been through the ringer and this, they just look like they did in the opening scene, like sitting atop the cliff watching the UFO go on. Like, they look like nothing's happened to them at all. You know, that kind of thing bothers me constantly. I, I know this isn't a weird aside, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. I'm actually going to, kind of, in a nice-ish way, blame my mother for that. Because my mom was super into westerns and cowboy culture and read a ton of books about it and blah, blah, blah. And I can remember watching something like Tombstone with her as a kid, which we both really liked. But I can remember her pointing out that, like, look how clean everybody is. There's no way people in 1880s Arizona bathing once a month, wearing the same clothes every day, but would have been this clean. It, that always stuck with me that, like, there are certain things they cut out, and I, now it bugs me. I see stuff like that, I'm like, damn it, yeah, absolutely. These people just trek through the jungle, and they look like they showered 20 minutes ago. But oh, Ike man. looks pretty dirty in Tombstone. He does. He Ike does. is gross. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> right. I, I think Shut to Dylan's Ike. point, though, the reason that you changed that from the original trilogy is, like I mentioned earlier, 
back then, Harrison Ford was a handsome young man, and now he's a feeble old man. And if you put a feeble old man in dirty clothes, he's just going to look like shit. They're trying to build up this, this <laughs> superhero. He's got to at least have a nice costume if he's not got anything else. All right, fair. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, also, Mac died. I know we kind of breezed over that, but oh, yeah. I don't know if anybody really cared when he died. Well, that's another really weird one. Is like mm-hmm. the, the Indy spends the whole movie like being mad at him for screwing everybody over and then it becomes apparent at the end he really has been screwing everybody over and then Indy tries to give him the whip like why are you trying to save him like <laughs> it, it's like partly his fault any of you were in this to begin with and he's obviously a complete piece of shit so let him go plus if you watch that scene closely it's very strange because like Mac is just like I don't know six feet away from Indy or something and he could just easily walk over to him the ground between them has not collapsed right but he, he whips, he does the whip over to him. And he's like, grab the whip. He could just walk over. Right. Like, he doesn't need to grab the whip and, like, be pulled. Right. It's so fucking stupid. But, the only reason he's not coming over is because he's collecting treasure in the fucking Cave of Wonders. Right. Second Aladdin reference. Yeah, I mean, that's even worse, right? Like, the, not only has he been a piece of shit the whole movie, and he screwed the rest of them over, but he's in the middle of trying to steal even more stuff when Andy offers to save him. And he didn't need the whip. And, it, like, yeah, why are you doing this? Also should have mentioned, you got to really be looking, but um, uh, one of the tiles in the throne room has 3PO and R2-D2 carved into it. What? And uh. one of the others has E.T. carved into it. And they've actually done that somewhere in all four movies. I can't remember where they were in the other three off the top of my head anymore, but but Spielberg and Lucas found a way to hide them somewhere in each, each of the three movies. There's probably a Jar Jar in there. It's got to be. God. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, much like another podcast we've done, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, this movie ends on a wedding, and it's just beautiful, isn't it? What a waste of a scene. <laughs> so boring, I don't care. Like, he, I, I would have been a lot more interesting to have a Mary Miriam 30 years ago. Or Marion. Like, Pappy, what do you think of the wedding? Good catering? <laughs> the lobster's great. <laughs> beautiful ceremony. Uh, yeah, bride looked great. <laughs> Weird that Shia LaBeouf is still upset at, at seeing his parents kiss at this point. Like, that's the level of humor that they're, we're dealing with as they kiss. Like, he may now kiss the bride, and Shia LaBeouf, like, grimaces at seeing his mom and dad kiss. I don't know, but yeah. nothing nothing compares to the, the setup, right? The big tease. We got our next Indiana oh, Jones. God. It's I mean, that how does that not get you excited, Steve, right? The- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just when you make a decision like that and then you don't follow through on it, it's just so embarrassing for everyone is, involved. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it gets talked about in every review, yeah. you know, I mean, and it always will, just like Super Mario Brothers, how they had the, um, the sequel bait at the end where they go back into the fucking whatever Blade Runner land they were in. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that if it doesn't work, fuck, people are going to rip on it, man. <laughs> Fucking A. I don't know. I guess I liked the subversion of, of Harrison Ford taking the hat back instead of Shia donning it, but I don't know. I didn't exactly love it. And also the the start of it is uh, pretty pretty dumb to me, too, with just, like, the wind blowing open the door and then blowing the hat over to Shia. I was like, okay, come on. <laughs> ah. Oh, boy. Fellas, any final thoughts about the movie itself before we do ratings? 
uh, three things I thought might be worth mentioning just for the sake of uh, context. There's a rumor, I have no idea if it's true or not, that M. Night Shyamalan at one point was asked to help write a draft for this as a script. That would have been horrible. I heard this. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm glad that didn't go anywhere. I can't imagine what the twist would have been. Probably that Shia LaBeouf was uh, Indy's son with an alien or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's the alien. Sure. <laughs> right? This movie was made on a budget of $185 million, which at least as of last year was actually still the most expensive movie Spielberg had ever directed, which is kind of crazy to think about in context, given War of the Worlds and Jurassic Park and the other stuff. Um, and it's also the only Spielberg film to have ever both been nominated for and won a Razzle. Mm. Oh, the Golden Raspberry Award? Yeah, Razzie, I should have said instead of Razzle, but yeah. Razzle Dazzle. Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> it won... A pack of Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> that just brings up one point I wanted to make, which was like, I don't know if you guys looked, but the critics seem to like this movie. Like, the Rotten Tomatoes score is way higher than I would have thought. I think Roger Ebert gave it a fairly good review. I don't know what the critics saw that the audience didn't, because those two scores... Roger Ebert also didn't like the first Die Hard. Like... This is true. <laughs> I, he's not exactly always the most trusted, but I mean, like, I just was like going on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm like, oh, this has got to be, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, and it's like 78. Wow. I was like, are you kidding me? It's certified fresh. That's crazy. That is crazy. I would have thought maybe mid or high 50s, but, like, damn. I saw apologists on Letterboxd. Yeah. Uh, There's always one, man. There's always somebody out there defending Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> the only final note I had, Corey, is the janitor from Scrubs is one of the FBI agents that's harassing Indiana Jones, and it's a subplot that starts and never goes anywhere. It just kind of fades no. away. We never oh, get yeah. to see the brain trust, yeah. Very strange. Uh, I noticed that as well. I was like, oh, okay, so the FBI are kind of have Indy on the shit list now. What's going to happen? <laughs> nah, nothing, or they cut it out, whatever. Right. <laughs> well, that takes us to ratings. And the way this works is, on any rating scale you want, you get to rate this movie. Dylan, why don't you go first? Alright, so I mean, I know I've kind of ripped on this movie. I still give it, uh, let's see, I do kind of what you guys do, and I end up doing most of the time, but I gotta think of a good object. I'll do, uh, you know, 5 out of 10 CGI monkeys. That's that's a reasonable one to do. Damn it. 5 out of 10 sounds semi-high, but most of my ratings skew pretty high. I don't like this movie. There's a couple redeemable scenes, but basically every time the movie takes, you know, like one step forward, takes about eight, nine, ten steps back with something really stupid or just a story that makes no sense. That's really at the heart of this is that the story and the lore behind the aliens, it's just not there to the same degree that there is in Raiders or Last Crusade. And uh, when you combine that with kind of like a, a, a character that I'm supposed to be you know accepting as like the new indiana jones and watching the relationship of this like core triangle unfold it's just not that enjoyable with some pretty ludicrous set pieces so five out of ten yeah i'm not a not a huge fan got it pappy what about you yeah you know the original trilogy feels like it, it is famously a love letter to the films that lucas and spielberg loved growing up this feels like a love letter to the movies that Lucas and Spielberg made like in the eighties and not really anything else. I, <laughs> I really firmly believe that, you know, when they got together to work on this project, their goal 
wasn't to tell a good Indiana Jones story, but their primary goal was to reaffirm Indiana Jones and the cultural zeitgeist and to pass the torch to another Indiana Jones and start a franchise up. And and it's just really cynical and bad. And I just, there's nothing for this movie or in this movie for me, really. I'd never want to see it again. I've seen it three times. I can barely tell you anything about it. Um, and so, oh yeah, one, one more thing too is that, you know, if if Disney is going to make another Indiana Jones, like the next time we see this franchise, it's going to be really, really different, right? Like I'm 100% sure that there won't be a cis white male lead. I'm 100% sure that he won't be extracting artifacts from negative people, right? It's going to be a very different looking Indiana Jones and it's kind of sad that this is probably the last look of this version of Indy that we got so for that I'm going to give it a two out of five slaughtered indigenous peoples uh, for this one but not good (laughs) awesome I'm going to go next before you Steve Uh, a lot has been said but I'm going to give it two out of ten Transformers era Shia LaBeoufs brutal Uh, I I do not like this movie I don't have a good time with it Despite it having uh, people attached that I do quite like independently of this movie, uh, namely Harrison Ford, John Williams, uh, Steven Spielberg, and sometimes George Lucas even. Um, sometimes. But it just doesn't come together very well, and it it feels like something else other than Indiana Jones, and I think a lot of that is because of modern technology that has influenced the movie and the way they use it. It doesn't work quite the same way. And uh, that saturated color really takes you out of it quickly. Um, I know that's a small thing, but I think it has a big impact in the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, I think I've said a lot about it. Uh, Not too great of a rating for me. Steve? I'm going to rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10 fedoras. (laughs) I've said it before, I'll say it again. I will give any movie that has successfully been at least completed and released a one because you deserve a one just for making a movie. Theodore Rex? Yeah, I mean, even Theodore Rex is a one for me just because they did (laughs) technically make a movie. Like, that's the only standard it requires of me to get a one is did you make a movie? So one one is at that end. Ten for me would be basically a perfect film or as close to it as I think you could realistically get. Bearing that in mind, five would be average. I'm actually going to give this movie five out of ten fedoras. It's not very good. There's a lot wrong with it. There's a lot to pick on. The script is stupid. It pales in comparison to the earlier Indiana Jones movies. And I just hate Shia LaBeouf, so anything he's in automatically loses points for me. But it's not any worse than a lot of other action movies. It it is technically better than some of them. I, I would say it ends up being a fairly average, if mostly uninteresting effort. And like Pappy, I don't really think I'll be running back to watch it again anytime soon. But, you know, given given that you have to compare it against the existence of Michael Bay movies, it's, or Uwe Bull movies, to be even worse than that, like, it's not, it's not worse than those are. So... <laughs> Damn, that's a good point. You know, it's not worse than most of Michael Bay's movies. On that metric, I'd say it's it's about average. Yeah. I could videotape myself taking a poop on my iPhone, and it would be a worse movie than this. You're right, Steve. It's not the worst possible movie. You can... <laughs> right? I mean, you know, come on. There's a lot out there that we would give two or threes to. Like, Theodore Rex is a one. Mario Brothers was arguably worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. <laughs> like, I don't think our, our Mortal Kombat reviews are going to be much better than this. The thing is, <laughs> mine will be. <laughs> right now, mine will be. Oh, but, my God. <laughs> the thing is, like, I just didn't have a good time watching it. So it's, it was really hard for me to watch a movie that I don't enjoy watching and come out and give it anything above the very lower echelon of ratings but I my could, ratings are inconsistent anyway so i can i can live with that no i would agree with you about that my 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 only retort there would be for me just my personal opinion while i didn't particularly enjoy it i didn't find myself actively disliking a lot of it there were moments that i disliked but a lot of it i was just like eh, you know ambivalent so i'll give it i'll give it an average score on the basis of that i might take it down to a four on retrospect but it's somewhere in that neighborhood so, Film Dylan, as I mentioned, this is your first time on our podcast. You have a podcast of your own, Cinestudy, a podcast I quite like a lot. Uh, for those listening, I recommend uh, Princess Bride and Texas Chainsaw Massacre episodes. I found those particularly good and well thought out. Did you do the new class with uh, McConaughey? He, I don't think he did. Oh, man. <laughs> he did not. I, I kind of want to see that movie, but I also feel like it'll just put me in a lot of mental and physical pain oh, trying will. to get through it so <laughs> that one is insane i have stories about that but Ooh. film dylan maybe you can uh, tell our listeners where to find you and just expand on a little bit of what your podcast is about yeah i appreciate that so Study, it's a little bit of everything i mean we just recently did top 10 movies of the 90s Corey and pappy were both on so i think fans of this podcast would definitely enjoy uh hearing that uh but yeah it's a little bit of everything some extended breakdowns some short reviews some rankings a um, little bit of everything, a little bit of every genre. Uh, I think, you know, as of recording this, I plan on ranking some movies that came out last year, 2020. So that's probably the next episode on the horizon. Uh, but you can listen to Cine Study, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Cine Study. Also on Instagram is where I'm most active, Cine Study Podcast. So yeah, thank you for having me on. I had a lot of fun doing this. Awesome. And thank you so much for being here. Pappy, another man that I want to thank for being here. Uh, maybe you can just drop a line about spoilers, your podcast, which I am also on. Well, first of all, thank you for the invite, uh, Corey. It's always great to come on Big Dumb Movie. Uh, you guys know me. I'm not going to plug spoilers. The only thing I'm going to plug is my debate with Steve happening soon. <laughs> he's going the fuck down. We're going to see if he's an android. We're going to see if he dreams, dreams of electric sheep or whatever it is. Watch out. <laughs> Pappy v. Steve coming soon to this fucking podcast feed. Be there, be square. Everyone tune Let's in go. to hear an overconfident Pappy lose a debate. <laughs> Ooh, oh, also, not. I need someone to help me get ready for a debate. So if you're listening to this... <laughs> DM Pappy. So Slide for, on for in. Debate prep. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. It's been a lot of fun reviewing this movie. More fun than it was watching it one and a half times so thank you guys again very much for joining me thank you both and steve i always appreciate it when you're on if you want to write in you can email us bigdumbmovie at gmail.com subscribe to our youtube channel i think that's where most people listen to us give us a thumbs up if you are listening to this on youtube but the best thing you can do for our podcast the thing that helps us the, the most more than anything else send me money directly on paper no, <laughs> um, is give us a positive rating and written review on apple podcasts uh, there have been some that have recently come through. I forgot to screenshot them, so maybe on our next podcast I'll read them out loud. Uh, but yes, positive rating and written review. And of course, you can send suggestions. I like to take those. The money will exclusively be used to buy me fedoras and cheap uh, swords from QVC. <laughs> 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 Fucking basement dweller Steve. <laughs> 
Uh, that's been an episode. Thank you very much for listening. We love you. Good night.